This is Everyday Photography Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it. I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker. And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neo Modern, and grumpy old man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Ruben. Hey, Suzanne. How are you? How's it going? Good. 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 Good? You're, miss- you're missing winter here, kind of. Oh, so no, we're-, we're getting winter. I'm getting plenty of winter, actually. Oh, you are getting winter. Yes. Yes. It's, uh, I think Californians are kind of like, wait, what are we doing? Is this rain now? Do we just do rain now? I know we needed it, but like now it's rain. really just raining a lot. Yeah. Now you're doing snow. I saw pictures of like the boardwalk at Santa Cruz with snow behind it and the Hollywood sign with snow behind it. I know. Like, it is crazy. You it's, know, in I the mean- movies... This is what they do in the movies where they're trying to demonstrate subtly the apocalypse and the changing world where they just show like, oh, look, it's snowing in the desert. You know, it's uh, (laughs) next the grasshoppers. Yeah, we can probably get ready. And then the fungus. So um, it may it may be happening. I am watching the fungus now. I didn't know they were a problem, but now I know. Now I know they're coming for us. So, you know, and they're uh, they're not fun guys. And I'm excited you're coming out here. So. For our listening uh, audience, Suzanne's coming out to Santa Fe. We're yes. going to do some episodes out here and hang out in a different season. You were here in the autumn, and now we can do sort of late winter, right? Perfect. I'm Perfect. I'm in for it. Uh, Santa Fe, here I come. It'll be so fun, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you in human form instead of just beyond a podcast. Yes, I <laughs> look forward to that well as well. And, and you're going to be seeing others in human form actually coming right up. Aren't you doing a workshop? I am. I am. I have. I'm speaking at actually, interestingly, at the Upaya Zen Center's Haiku Festival in Santa Fe on the 25th. And I think anyone can attend. There's a Zoom sort of component of that. And um, I have an online workshop that starts in a couple of weeks with the Santa Fe workshops. And I think there Mm -hmm. there might be a couple more spaces in that. What I'm really excited about is... um, Let's see. Gosh, God, there's a ton of things now that I'm thinking about it. I, I'm going to be in Philadelphia doing um, sort of a photo walk at Valley Forge on April 17th, if okay. you're in the uh, greater Philly area. And I'd really like to get some Midwesterners into this in-person workshop I'm doing in northern Wisconsin at the Wild Rice Retreat Center. I love the Northwoods oh. and Lake Superior. That's your that's your. Zone, it is right? it's where I grew up. So this, that is so exciting. I wish I I wish I could uh, make a cameo. <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to the like all that magic of Northern Wisconsin. Um, that yeah. is the week of May 22nd. So okay. if you're into that, uh, go to wildriceretreat.com. Um, just a couple more spots. So do that soon. And then the last thing I'm doing uh, an in-person workshop. At, in Santa Fe for the Santa Fe workshops on June 26th for that week. So those are like lots awesome. of in-person stuff. And, lots uh, of in-person stuff. Can you? Is there going to be a calendar? I know we always put our guest uh, link to their things that they're doing in the show notes, but do we have some sort of calendar just to keep track of where we might be able to see yeah. you or me or us? Um, I don't think it's super formal. On the website, there are workshops and there's a list of stuff on the neomodern.com slash workshops. Oh, page and I'll I'll put a link to something in the show notes for for this episode too. That sounds great. And cool. actually, you have one more thing I know. What? Uh, the photograph as haiku oh, is yes. now an ebook, right? It is. I'm glad <laughs> the ebook makes it very affordable to students. Uh, you can still get a hard copy, like paperback or a limited edition hardback, from the website. But yes, go get your book. Um, yeah. So that's the array of stuff going on. But I do I really recommend being in Santa Fe in the summer. One of the things about being in Santa Fe is the landscape is so cool, right? It changes seasonally, and but you know, as a Californian, I don't know. I'm really getting into four really amazing seasons. You know, winter is cool, and then it stops. It's like three months long, and then it's yeah. spring, and it is like textbook yeah. spring, and then it's summer. And it's textbook stuff. So, um, I don't know. I've been shooting more kind of landscape stuff than I mm-hmm. had been. Uh, and so, which is a kind of an interesting uh, segue. Uh, so I'm paying more attention to landscape photographers. Um, there's some classic stuff in the collection that I like, uh, you know, from Michael Kenna to John Sexton, a whole a whole uh-huh. bunch of photographers I really like. But I was on Instagram, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and there's right. a photographer that I've been following, and I just 
you know, I keep thinking to myself, if I was getting better at my landscapes, they would be uh -huh. looking more like this guy. You know, it's like this, so this is, is this is your aspirational. That's right. Um, this is, I go back. To, I look at the, well, but I'm a fan. Okay, let me just. I'm I'm a fan. He 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 does the kind of work I wish I could do. And um, oh great, this, this podcast uh, allows us. I just sent him a note and said, "Hey, you want to you want to meet and and yes. uh, say hi." So, uh, uh, Suzanne, I want to introduce you to Jason Pettit. Jason, this is Suzanne, and welcome to our podcast. Hi, Jason. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so where are you? I live in a uh, small village in southern Ontario called Bloomfield. It's in Prince Edward County. It's a peninsula of Lake Ontario. Wow. So if you went across the water, it would only be about 40 kilometers to New York. So you could consider us southern Canada. Hmm. It sounds it. cold. Uh, you know, it is, and then sometimes it's not. Our winter is very a lot. You know, last week we had a high of you know, well above zero, and then uh, well above it was minus thirty. So, <laughs> <laughs> can you can you give us a little? I mean, tell us about how you got to where you are. I mean, not yeah, just geographically, but yeah. Okay. Well, I've been uh, photographing for about five years. Maybe the last two, seriously, the first three were kind of a warm up, I suppose. At least that's okay. how I see it in retrospect. Um, you know, your early stuff you always look at and cringe. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. I think my children were starting to get older uh, at the time. They were becoming teenagers, and I started having more time on my hands, and I always wanted to be creative. But I, I was never good at things like painting or drawing and whatnot. And then the next thing I know, I'm ordering a camera online. I really don't remember the thought process behind that action. But I did it. And I got the camera and I just really started getting into it. And I was just taking pictures, whatever, at first. And then gradually it's kind of distilled into what it is now. What camera were you using before, like when your children were growing up? Um, well, I didn't do a lot of photography when they were smaller. I had some, you know, film cameras from the past, that, you know, mostly just family photos, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, and nothing serious at all. <laughs> and then I got a. I guess it started with a cell phone that had a, a better camera than most of them. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, started, you know, I need to get more exercise at the time because, you know, I have an office job. And so I started going out on more hikes. There's lots of places to hike here. Uh, just with the cell phone. So, so before you picked up the camera and sort of discovered this, were you going out into the wilderness without a camera? Like, was that still part of your uh, world to be an, you know, I don't know, explorer of some kind? Yeah, Without I think so. I mean, I didn't do it as much, you know, for, for for some years. But growing up, I certainly spent a lot of time outside. Um, I live where I, I grew up. I've always lived here my whole life. So I'm very familiar with uh, all the nooks and crannies, if you will, the places you can go. So I feel that. Like, I, it feels like you're taking pictures of places you know very well and have seen in lots of different lighting and weather types of conditions is that right is this is this a, a, a your stomping ground and now you're shooting it that's right yeah i think i probably all of my photos come within maybe a 50 kilometer radius of my house wow so wow. well hopefully people will get a chance to look at the show notes because I've, I've picked out a handful of pictures i i'm just mesmerized by um they just have such um a, a kind of elegance to them, a sort a real simplicity. Right. But you know, I look at a lot of people's landscape stuff, and it's generally hard to do good landscapes. They tend to just sort of be pretty, but not as emotional right. as I, I kind of like. They're hard. They're hard to do the way you do them, and I think you you do a great job. What is that like? What are you? What's your process like? Well, I think it was partially an evolution. Um, when I first got into photography, I was like many landscape photographers chasing the grand scene, um, you know, going out at very specific times for sunrise and sunset and getting those iconic shots. Uh -huh. um, I guess I got bored of it pretty quick, though. It, it, it was becoming same, same. Uh -huh. So, you know, I just started 
learning more about photography, exploring other photographers work more. Uh, and I started trying some new things and then I really got into, uh, more intimate scenes in nature. Um, I guess when I picked up Elliot Porter's book, um, if you're familiar with Elliot Porter is a mm -hmm. very famous American photographer from the middle part of the last century. And, uh, so that, that was kind of how I started doing it. And then, uh, you, you just start distilling your, your, your style after a while. Like, you know, you start and you're just basically into everything. Uh -huh. Not you still can't be into everything, but you're into, uh, you know, everything looks good on your camera. You take a okay. picture of this. Oh, it's good. That looks great. Oh, this is all great. And you're just bombarding yourself with all this, this stuff. And then eventually you start, you know, trimming the bush and the branches fall off and then you start getting left with something a little bit more, uh, clear cut, I guess, or more, more distinct. So, yeah. You've done it so beautifully. I mean, I just to echo what Ruben is saying of these, these moments. And even if people just pour over your Instagram, you have like every photo seems so, so like different. It's still part of the same body of work, obviously, but it, there are these like these intimate moments, these like, like, you know, it so well, as everyone was saying, like your stomping grounds, the back of your hand that you're able to kind of yeah. capture like its particular like moment of beauty. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about just how you edit? Because if you sure. you're looking at your, you know, for in example, Instagram or on your website, it's the photographs do feel so different. It's not like a continuation, like this is the series and then you see it one, it's a little different and one, it's a little different. You've really picked like that is the shot. Can you talk a little bit about your editing process? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not very heavy handed with editing, partly due to maybe laziness and learning advanced features in Photoshop that I don't <laughs> want to get into. Okay. Um, but after, you know, last two years, I felt I didn't really need to go beyond what I could do just in, in Lightroom. So, and then yeah. it's a very intuitive program. Uh, the I other love challenge, hearing that, by the way, that makes uh, Ruben very happy, very yeah. limited. <laughs> no, it, it, in, 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 there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, getting really into it. And a lot of photographers do, and they have, if they're good at it, the results are quite tasteful. Um, for me though, uh, I felt that a simpler approach was better. I mean, most of my edits are, you know, brightness, contrast, sure. uh, white balance, things like that. Um, I have to be pretty true to the colors from the camera. I am colorblind. So if I mess around with the colors too oh. much, I Wait. can make a mistake. No, Wait. not really. I can see colors, but the colors that I see and you see are probably different in how I translate them. Are you red, green? Greens. Are you a red, green? Yeah. Mostly in a, in a mix of a whole bunch of other little things. So wow. wait, how do you do that? If you're red, green, colorblind, there's like reds and greens in these pictures that are beautiful. This is a, a reason why I try to, to stay color true. You know, uh, I change my white balance a bit, but I, I, I don't get into the hues. I don't like to do split toning, uh, you know, where you're making the shadows one color and the highlights another color. Cause I probably just going to screw it up. And it's going to be color <laughs> but um I'm, I'm fairly good at remembering how i saw and seeing when i was out there and i'm able to translate it through my mind's eye to what it was without needing to change the colors so that's a very you know there's not a lot to explain about my my editing process i guess so i well i have two questions one i actually do want to talk a little bit about just this color blindness and one <laughs> <laughs> One image specifically that really caught my eye. Um, but I also want to talk about just the idea of editing as far as the, a, a verb around like curation, like editing or calling it down from the amount of photos that, that you've taken. Mm, okay. um, but but since we've, we've talked about this colorblindness, <laughs> let's go a little deeper on that. I do find it fascinating. There is um, there's an image that had really caught my eye because of the color, actually. You do have a fairly mm -hmm. neutral across the board, you know, palette that does lean into tones but it is uh, it's largely neutral so maybe this one also just stuck out because of the color you've really leaned into these sort of complementary colors it's a uh an oak leaf i believe kind of a tattered oak leaf it's sort of almost in the center of the frame it looks like it's in a bubbling brook that may be partially frozen oh, over yep. so you have these like ebullient sort of ice blobs that are these deep shades of like blue and like cerulean and then this oak leaf which is 
feels like it's been through the, you know, been through the harshest winter <laughs> is still maintains a little bit of this like golden, like kind of withered brownish yellow gold. And like right. the colors on that, the, the composition is beautiful and like the the shape of the leaves and how it kind of like fits in with these these ice blobs bubbling is it's all so stunning. But what can you say? I think I think she's speaking about um frozen flame. Oh, I don't see so I it is if frozen you're on flame. My, well if you're done on my you web... frozen flame it frozen is. Frozen flame, nice. Yeah. Okay. I right, found it that quickly. Wow. Oh, you're good. Um, so yeah, that one, I mean, the, the basic colors are there. That's at the bottom of a very small waterfall at a local, uh, conservation area, like literally maybe six feet tall. So it, it just started getting cold. I think I took this image in late November, early December. And, uh, so there was a lot of dried leaves from autumn still hanging around, blowing about. And this one got caught sort of while it was freezing in there and it started getting enveloped within the ice. So, I mean, with that one, the colors are mostly, I mean, I just did a cooler white balance. And I think with the leaf, I just, I knew it was going to be an orange or yellow. So within Lightroom, you can kind of boost the, you know, how bright a certain color is. Okay. So I just slid that up a little bit. And of course, I, I made the shadows very dark, just but to you... sort of emphasize that, that leaf. But I like that you're I mean, I think the mistake that a lot of landscape photographers make, which you steer clear of, is that they get too oversaturated. You know, they just mm -hmm. jack they jack their saturations for some reason, and things feel sort of cloying. But you, even when you yeah. think your works are colorful, they're not oversaturated. If that makes sense, you know, I think that yeah. they have a really nice sense I, of color. I, I think with you know, if I if I've kept an image colors because the color is part of the story. And it needs to be that way. Mm -hmm. you know? And in most images, I'll kind of try a black and white. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of times, it's a lot harder to get a good image that works in black and white than it is to get a good image that works in color, uh, in my experience anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think it, it, it's it's hard to know when to stop pushing. And the other problem is we're sharing images on social media, everybody's screens are different or how they're calibrated. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when I'm editing on my computer here, and then I'll say transfer it to my cell phone to then upload to Instagram, the colors look a lot more vibrant on my cell phone than they do on yeah. my computer because I've got my computer set to how I like it. Do you print? So, and, uh, I do sometimes, yes. I do sell prints and occasionally I'll print them out. Not as much as I'd like to. But yeah, and there's another translation problem sure. that's that really hard to do. I'm sure you know all about that. I can see yeah. lots of prints behind you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, but the thing that's nice about printing, of course, is that you really can decide what is the right palette, color, intensity, all those decisions and size, of course, and then kind of fix it. This is how I see the picture because you're stuck yeah. in social media and online. You just don't know what, how people are looking at your pictures. No, you don't. And I mean, you're going from, you know, backlit on your screen to forelit with a print in real life uh -huh. uh, it's very different very very different so i mean i got a guy i use who does my prints he's more professional and he's very good at being able to translate that so it looks the way i want to after the print comes out so yeah, yeah printing's a whole other uh there's a lot to it and i haven't gotten into it as much as i'd like to i'd love to be able to do my own prints one day but uh it's not cheap, but it's it's the end goal for for my prints. I think to see them printed is is uh, definitely where I want it to end up. So, well, can we talk about just how you curate then? How you edit down, like kind of call sure. out um, or call down the images that you've shot into the image? Well, it, that changes a lot from image to image. Some of them are. Are obvious. You get home. You, <laughs> this well, is the you, one. <laughs> you know, well, even in in the field, sometimes you're like, I'm pretty sure this is the composition I want. But you know, you're out there. You get a feeling. The, like, does you do you get a body sensation after you think you've got that shot? Or is like, it the oh, last yeah, one? Because for me, sometimes it's the you know I'm shooting, I'm trying to get it, I'm doing this, yeah. and then I get it, and it's the last one of a kind of a, a set of three or four where I'm trying to work on it. 
as opposed to it's one of these. Let me sit and look at them. Like I can usually feel I hit mm. it or I missed it or yeah. something. Is that how you're? Is that yeah? You, I think are you shooting right. a lot? Are you shooting a lot? I, I go out probably yeah. twice a week. Um, so. I mean, when you see that, when you saw that leaf in the water, okay, let's let's talk about this picture in particular. You notice it. You uh, are you using a tripod. It held most of the time. Yeah, I do. Okay, so you set your tripod up. You, you notice what's going on here. How many pictures are you going to take before you decide you've kind of you think you've got it? Depends on how many angles I can get it at. This is a little bit of a restricted area to to, to get set up in because it was kind of in a vertical. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of standing on the side of a mini cliff, so there wasn't a lot of options. <laughs> But typically, yeah, with that one, you know, I I did closer and and, and including more of the ice, less of the ice from the side a little bit. Um, But when I got back to curating, it was probably one of the last images I had done. Because like you said, Ruben, you you get an image, you start working the scene, and the idea is you're supposed to get better, you know, figuring out different things. You're getting better. (laughs) And you're getting used to being there. You're getting familiar with it, and you're seeing it, and through experience, I guess. Do so. you crop in? Do you compose in frame, or do you allow yourself to do that in post production? That you might crop it down a lot, or change its aspect ratio, or something. Um, I, I do in frame mostly. If I'm cropping, it's usually just for aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sometimes, no matter what you do, there's going to be a distracting element in your frame. Um, at your given aspect ratio, in my case, two to three um, full frame camera. A lot of crops I do are four to five, so that'd be more translating to your typical eight by ten ratio you would see in a photograph. Is it? Uh, sometimes, you know, the clipping one side of it helps make the yeah. image stand out a little bit more. But I don't like to do a lot of uh, extreme cropping just because. I try to keep my mind on if I ever want to print this image, I want it to be the highest quality it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, the further you crop in, the less quality you're going to have on on the photo. So, do you have? Can, uh, I mean, for, again, for me, it's a practice. So I have built-in constraints that I'm trying to work against, just because that's what makes it fun for me. Do you? Would you say you have constraints to? Uh-huh. That that you you would consider some things cheating and other things like that's how you do it. This is why you're doing it. Yeah, I think I think I do. Sometimes I feel it's it helps your creativity, giving yourself a restriction. Um, totally agree. Sometimes I'll go out with a limited amount of gear. Right, I'll just choose one lens, and. Yes, I have to, whatever I'm going to get, that's what I'm going to do with that lens. I have no other choice. Um, <laughs> I I do have certain, mostly with editing, I have things I won't do because it doesn't appeal to me and it's my own personal rule. Like, uh-huh. you know, I won't blend images together in a non-obvious way. Like, multiple exposures weren't one thing, but I'm talking about, you know, adding things into the image that weren't there when you took the, the photo. Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't like to do that. But, uh, yeah, sometimes I dream about moving to just being a black and white photographer because that's definitely one of the ultimate artistic restrictions you can put on yourself, especially with modern camera technology, which is very good at translating color now. Is it? Is it? So, I know you, Ruben, you do most of your work in black and white. Right? I do. I try to, like, and I have the same feeling you do, which is, like, if there's going to be color, it needs to be important, not just pretty, but part of the story, part of the what what you're what's going on here and uh it's too easy to just make it colorful and like a non-interesting <laughs> picture ju- just pretty and so and i do think that your photos are more like i think they i, I saw your black and white work and you have t- a ton of really great black and white work too so mm-hmm. i i think you're doing the same thing i am in that sense where you know if it can be black and white that is a, a harder constraint it's kind of fun to see if you could pull it off and if you can't it works great in color you know it's a fine and it, beautiful photograph it, i mean i thought about that restriction for myself you know the, the color blindness wouldn't be a problem anymore but, but <laughs> um, i found there is too many images i couldn't say goodbye to if i had done that yeah, sir. 
There's too many images I have, or the color makes the image, and I can't just say I'm no longer doing that. And these images can't be on my website, and they're just for my own personal use now. No, mm -hmm. no, I can't do it. I can't do it. That's a hard I, one. I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that there's something to just like the power and beauty and splendor in nature, and you're capturing like the beauty of these small moments that it it reminds us to like stop and and slow down and like and look in and i do think that it's just like the color you're like oh my gosh like the color of the bark you have a close-up of this it almost looks like a river from far away and then you zoom in and you've gone into this i'm, I'm not great with trees but maybe like a eucalyptus or something that's like it's like a really stringy bark. Uh -huh. um, oh, I bet I can find the name of it. Oh, is that? Uh, it's just a close-up of bark only. It's called it ribbon. Is, it is called ribbon. I'm so impressed with your encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of your work. Yes, it is called ribbon. So but... Yeah, ribbons is actually a vine. Oh. A so vine. Oh, it's wow. a very, it's a very thick. Uh, I think it's a Virginia creeper. No, a wild grape. The wild grape vine. So I, I found well, this in a forest. And I've never seen one this big. It must have been at least eight inches in diameter, which is big for a vine, right? You know, that's huge. So yeah, that one I used a little bit more. Uh, so I had to do a lot of focus stacking for that. And, and what is focus stacking? Focus stacking. So you, you set your camera up on a tripod, ideally, and uh, <laughs> it's where you have an image, particularly close up, where you can't focus everything to be sharp if you take just one image, right? So okay. you focus on the middle of it. That part will be sharp, but. You know, the other parts in the corner where maybe the object's kind of moving away from the lens can't be oh. in focus. So what you do is you just take multiple pictures of the same scene in different spots and focus on different spots. And then afterwards, you blend them together to one photo. So that's probably the most technical I ever get. It's easier than it sounds. That sounds really very technical. That sounds very technical. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, hard, that's a very different kind of experience than... I don't know, it, just the shooting part, right? Some small scenes, it's useful to do it just because, you know, with that image, I felt it would it would be appropriate. I've only done it maybe five or six times with images I like, but I really wanted to be able to see all the textures in that vine at once instead of just... I love it. Because I was so close, I would it wouldn't have made any sense, I don't think. so. Is that yeah. an image, I mean, again, you just, you have so much great work. Um, but is there an image that you are just particularly proud of? And I know that's hard to pick the favorite of your children, but even when I ask you this question, is there one or even two that just sort of pop into your mind that you're, you're, you know, especially, especially proud of? I think, I mean, that's always changing too, right? You know, of course. Yeah. As of today, as of this morning. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think I would choose a favorite as one where I took it a few years ago and it's, still one I like. So often, you know, you know, I, two years, I had an image that I loved two years ago today, and eh, probably not as much, right? And it's not children. Luckily, you can say that about uh, the picture. And I do, and I will interject, it, it sometimes takes, you know, it sometimes takes a year. It takes time to live with pictures and what you like yeah. instantly. What is that immediate satisfaction uh, that sort of almost like hit it's like a, a listening to music and you just instantly love it. But after a year, yeah. you get tired of it. And then there's the other songs that you just, they grow on you and they have complexity. And after years, they really hold up. And yeah. it's hard to know that in the moment. And so it's interesting. I, I, I am curious what has stayed with you over the years and it just never gets old. Yeah. I mean, my website, the images aren't any more than maybe three years old. But I think one that sticks with me still is a few years old now is Winter Marsh which you have, I think you mentioned that one earlier, Ruben. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's the, I, I think that's the cover picture of the book. Okay. Yeah. That, one, <laughs> that, that, that was just, you know, you know how it is. You get out there and you just, everything clicks, right? Mm -hmm. the, the weather's right. Um, the conditions are right. You're in the right spot. And uh, there you go, right? So, I don't know. The colors has really worked out for me. And it, 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 it kind of had this texture to it. Um, it looks like it has a texture to it. And, you, go out uh, you just go out, like go for a hike with all your gear and you just spend the morning out in the woods. Is that what your days are like sometimes? 
That's about right. Yeah. I'm lucky living where I do. There's a lot of places where um, you can do that. Um, and I'm surrounded by water too. So that, that uh, creates a lot of interesting little habitats you can explore. And having grown up here, I'm familiar with them all. So I just can go wander off into those areas and not worry about getting lost or anything like that. <laughs> I, I gotta say I'm surprised I mean considering how obviously gifted you are doing this that you don't have a bunch of pictures of your family and kids that are also beautiful you know that are touching and whatever you know all that stuff it, that didn't inspire you as much as like the woods that's right no I I mean I do have some nice photos of my family but uh, I think for me that's it's more of a as a recording of, of moments for taking pictures of family, right? You know, or helping you remember something later where I guess, I don't know if I've explained this well, I'm more fired by images of nature, probably because it, it brings me a balance in my life, to be honest. Um, being in those natural spaces the quiet, getting away from everything, it's very important to me um, to do that. So that's where my inspiration kind of comes from, I think. Uh, so, I just go and... Sorry, go ahead. For, for those who are, aren't actually looking at the picture right now, maybe you could, in your own way, describe Winter Marsh. Like, what what sure. is that scene? Um, that scene, so behind me, behind where I took the photo, is Lake Ontario. Um, so, and I'm on a stone beach, uh, a bunch of rounded, maybe six inch across stones all heaped up by the waves. It's called a barrier beach. So, uh, the stones get pushed by the waves and they make a mound and behind that mound, water seeps through and creates these marshes. Um, and that's what this is. So this is early winter, it had just snowed a little bit the day before. Uh, all the the reeds and the cattails still have a, they're all dead, but they aren't totally brown yet like they got in January and February. And beyond that is the edge of the woods, which has a nice little coating of snow on it. Um, and there's some interesting little, at least how my eyes interpret it, alder branches in there to give it kind of a red tinge in a few spots. Uh -huh. Um, uh -huh. so yeah, that's, uh -huh. it's, it, the color wise, it, uh, it really comes together and I try and keep the sky out of my images too, cause, um, often it's a distraction. So that's interesting I mean, you say that well, I, 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 in workshops, people tend to pull back and they have this bright sky, even with a cool looking foreground and sure. usually just to kind of illustrates of this to them, I'll crop it, the sky out and show them their own pictures without their sky and they're blown away. I think people don't realize <laughs> that it's a distraction and not part of like, yeah, anyway, it's cool yeah. that you came to that. That's... No, you're right. I mean, occasionally it'll work, you know, but, but I found often that, you know, if people will, will zero in on the sky, because like you said, it's the, usually the brightest spot in your image. And I think the eye is drawn towards that. Um, so I, I want to concentrate on only what I want you to see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it sounds controlling, but that's how photography works. It's really. supposed to be controlling. So, yeah. I, you don't abdicate your responsibility to control us and show us what you want us to see in the way you want us yeah. to see it. I, I and think I it's think great. It's one of the biggest tricks of, of getting good at photography is knowing how to remove distractions what this, you know, I, I can't remember who the quote was. It's not what you include in the image, it's what you exclude from the image. So, and that's been a challenge I've been working on, and I, I still have lots of work to do on that as well. But uh, that's a big good. suggestion I would give to any photographer starting out, you know. Uh -huh. It just takes time. Go out a lot, you know. So, But you've done this in just a few years. So, like, it also, I think your work can inspire people who are, adults and like playing around with photography, maybe now their kids are grown or they are trying a new camera or something like that. And you really can yeah. be good. You know, you can get really good very fast. You can just find, find Absolutely. your art there. I think I have the advantage of coming to photography at the time I did, 
uh, with you know the beginning of the big boom of social media. You know, you hear a lot of bad things about social media, but I think a lot of photographers started, and you can learn things if you curate your feeds well a lot more exponentially than you could previously. I mean, how would you get you know uh, access to images? by all these other photographers who don't have books out or yeah. whatever been in magazines. Now we can go on something like Instagram and you can follow these amazing photographers. Like a whole bunch of and uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, you can see what they're doing and, and where they're getting their inspiration. You could actually have conversations with them about it. Um, so I think I have to thank as bad as it sounds, social media a little bit for being able to learn maybe a little bit faster. Just being keen too is also, you know, yeah. if you're really interested in something, you, you're going to learn it faster. But um, but I will say that looking at, I mean, in particular for landscapes and maybe especially for your landscapes, like looking at them on, on in Instagram, looking at them small is soul crushing to me. Like when I see your picture full screen <laughs> on, on this screen here, yeah. It's like, oh, right, right. Yeah, this, this, is <laughs> the other, this is the other edge of the sword, right? Yeah. It's not the greatest place to show art, so it's not. But it's where we are, where we are right now, so yeah. Um, yeah. That's why I like to get my prints out of there when I can, because that's the most amazing thing to see. Yeah. You do. You So you do have some of your work printed, and how big do you print it? I, I the biggest one I've done would be twenty four by thirty six inches, I think. So, it's can big. I ask what you printed? That's I mean that's that's big. That's a you know that's, that's like a, a poster print. size. Yeah, and it's pretty big. You yeah. know, usually I do smaller ones. Just depending. Mm -hmm. So people, I do a lot. Like you can go to my website and you can order a print, and I'll have it made, and I'll send it to you. And I have a variety Great. of sizes you can choose from. You can choose a Lovely. size. Um. Sometimes I'll put some work in a gallery and then it's more my decision about, you know, what I want to put there, what size I want to put there. Maybe they have a size restrictions. Usually, I don't print 24 by 36 much. Mm -hmm. Usually, it's, you know, more like 12 to 18, you know, okay. something smaller. Because mm -hmm. you're also adding a frame onto it too and that yeah. adds size. So. And it adds yeah. cost. Just the cost of a giant frame like that, it could be considerable. You don't want to... Yeah, no, it can, yeah. if you, especially if you're in a gallery, you haven't sold that thing yet. Yeah, right. You're fronting, <laughs> you're fronting the whole cost. And of course, when you sell it, the gallery's taking their cut so they can keep their doors open. That's um, so, and that's part of the reason why art is expensive. And uh, I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding why they're seeing, you know, a photograph or any piece of art. And it's maybe not that big, but it's like $1,000 or something. But there's a lot of work that's gone into that. Of course. Um, you're buying something special if the art is good, not just, you know, wall art from Bed Bath and Beyond or something, you know? So. Yeah. You're buying something that moves you, you know, something that, that, that causes change in the way that you're seeing and what you see. Right. Even I interrupted. What did, what did you say? Oh, I was just curious if you addition, uh, like, are you printing a couple? Uh, like, do you limit yourself that you'll only print five of this or it, 20 or whatever, some number? I, or do you? We have editions on my website now. I keep toying with not doing it. There's a lot of argument going back and forth about, you know, is it even ethical to do that? Or are you just buying into this sort of, you know, the, the, some people thinking of the galleries are doing this sort of increased value, you know, making it something that's rare. I think it's hard to do with photography because you can reproduce it quite easily over and over and over again, you know. Um, should you do that or not? Are you making it less accessible for others? Uh, I'm doing it now because I'm really not at risk of selling out any editions anytime soon. So, <laughs> um, but you know, on the other hand, you being an individual artist are a limited edition. Whatever you make is the only absolutely. You know, you're the only you're the only one who can do it, and by and by that, that kind of makes it a limited edition as well. Mm -hmm. So when I'm gone or something, nobody's going to be making these anymore or making new ones anyway. We hope. So, yeah. Yeah. We hope. <laughs> you, um, Jason, you've spoken about seeing nature as a metaphor for humanity. 
Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about that and how you really see emotions in nature? Yeah, that's a hard one to put into words. Uh, I mean, the images, I hope, speak for themselves. Um, I mean, I think when we're all out, or at least when I'm out um, in nature, walking around, it gives you a lot of time to think. So uh -huh. as much as you're trying to be in the moment of just being out in nature, forgetting everything else about your job, your life, or whatever is bothering you, things leak through, right? Um Sometimes they're good emotions and sometimes they're bad emotions. Emotions that you're feeling definitely leak through into the photographs you take. Uh, um, a good example, the image burning inside. That's uh, the piece of driftwood. It's got red rotting wood beneath this bone white exterior. Uh, and the way it's shaped kind of looks like flames a little bit so i think at the time i was maybe doom scrolling news too much <laughs> <laughs> so i mean but it's something you have to work out and you know you're you're bothered by it but i think by going out and kind of connecting your emotions to nature helps yeah kind of absorb the i don't want to say the pain because it's not always pain some of them are about joy but um i find connecting your emotions with nature is a very therapeutic thing. Yeah. Well, I love hearing this. And it's also, it leads me to another question I wanted to ask on how you name them. I actually do appreciate yeah. that they're named, that it's not just untitled yeah. one, untitled two. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about no, no slight given. <laughs> I just Sounds, mean, hmm, I, I hear I, that. No, I just, I just I mean, it's, it's an extra layer of like, I get to read into the images a little bit more. It just holds me there a little bit longer because then I not only am appreciating this beautiful image, but it's almost like the this kind of poetry layer that goes on top of it. And I just want to talk about some of the names that you've selected. Um, for example, pregnant pause, forest frequency, broken armor, the shape of winter, pool of sky. These are names that I think were really beautiful and like made me almost like see something else in the image, which was really, okay. really exciting. Can you talk a little bit about finding the names? Do they just come to you? Is that the one and done? Do you write them down and then you edit? Like, can you talk about that process a little bit? Yeah, sure. Sometimes it, it does pop right in your head, uh, like pregnant pause. I mean, yeah. that's mostly, you know, a relationship between something in nature and another real world thing that's entirely unrelated. Right. Um, um, and you're mixing them together. Other times, it's one of the hardest things to do when I'm making an image, just coming up with a name that I'm happy with. Um, and I have changed them before. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I like to name them... Um, it makes them more personal for me, I think. And uh, it's, yeah, it's very difficult. It, I guess most of the time they do eventually just come to me. Maybe not initially, but they, they do. Um, they're also like with broken arm bar, it does look like, you know, something like a carapace or a shield's been cracked and broken. But also that could be a metaphor for something else in your life, you know, uh, damage, emotional damage even. So yeah. I, I like to mix those things in there um, because at the end of the day, I, I, I although these are images of nature, uh, I'm not really looking at the things in nature for what they are. It's more like um, how it translates in our own brain into an emotion you know something that makes us feel something else so um if that makes any sense no that absolutely that does, yeah um you said uh that elliot porter was sort of among your inspirations can you yeah. is it who else inspired you i don't know have you seen ernest haas have you seen his oh, yeah. color work yep. so who yep. inspires you and maybe do you have work on your walls um, of others, not much. I don't have a lot of room in my walls. It's mostly family pictures. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Do you have your work on your walls? Do you have like what, what pictures of yours do you have up? A couple pieces. Um, they're not necessarily my favorites for the most part because sometimes they're just leftovers from shows that didn't sell after a few years. <laughs> any, any other artist who does anything in galleries will know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> 
But um, for yeah, for me, when I when I first started uh, thinking about photography more seriously, I think my first uh, was Galen Rowell. Now you hear a lot of landscape photographers okay. say Galen Rowell was their first real uh, inspiration. Um, not just because, I mean, he's got amazing, stunning landscape images from all around the world, but he was very good at writing as well. So yeah. his books aren't just picture books. His books are also, uh, you know, his philosophy and approach and beliefs of what photography can be and what what it can, should be. And I think I learned a lot from that. It's, it's, it sort of fires your imagination more by by having these great photographers who are also excellent writers. Is it? Um, so it's it's maybe it wasn't as much the imagery, but also the words. Um, so he, he was definitely one of the first ones. Uh, Elliot Porter really opened up my eyes to intimate nature scenes, things like that. It made me see it actually as possible to do because I hadn't even considered it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, being so focused as I was on the grander scene. Um, more current, Guy Tall definitely has uh, been an influence. He's fairly well known in the, the landscape photography world. I mean, in his imagery is fantastic, but his writing is almost even better in terms of its, it's almost like reading a philosophy book. Is that, it, you know, he just happens to have some photos in there, right? And in, in a lot of his philosophy about art and ethics and art and things like that and how you're translating, you know, your images and in a more meaningful way than just going out and taking a record shot of something. That's that so. I think those would probably be my three biggest ones currently. And there's been many others too. Um, got some books by William Neal, another well-known current landscape photographer. Um, but uh, Minor White is another one going back to, to photographers who are no longer with us. Has it? Um, I really, I learned a lot about black and white photography from minor whites images, I think, um, learning a lot about contrasts. Uh, so that was very, very good. And and again, his writing is very inspirational, very philosophical. Like he really digs into the, the Zen, uh, involved. And and words, and words clearly matter to, to you, Jason. So I'm, I'm especially interested in your answer to this next question. Um, we do ask every photographer we have on the show if you could describe your work in one word. What would that word be? Oh, gee, this is a new question. Uh, <laughs> you like the other ones I've all heard before, but this right. one. <laughs> it's hard. It's uh, we know that. Personal. Yeah. Personal. I like that. Okay. That's interesting for, for a landscape photographer because I would expect that from. I don't know, street photography, something that seems like it's more. Yeah, or portraits human, or. Yeah, yeah, human, but personal for, I guess, if you think about his work as emotions in nature, I guess. Yeah. Personal is nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I like to show it to other people, but um, I mean, and, and other people are free to translate my images however they like. I can't tell you what to think when you're looking at my imagery, but I think being so familiar as I am and, and so. Uh, in love with where I live, um, these images can't be anything else but personal. Yeah. So you totally feel your love for where you are. I mean, they clearly taken by somebody who is intimate. It's really the only word intimate with the landscape around where you are, where you grew up, where you currently, I guess, raised your family. Yeah. Amazing. No, I mean. I- I think it where I live kind of pushed me into intimate landscapes too. We don't have a lot of grand scenes here. We don't have any mountains. We don't have any canyons. We don't have a larger ocean and sea stacks. We don't have any of that stuff. So there's a limited amount you can do with that. So if you want to keep going and and create and not get frustrated, you got to adapt. Um, and but so I, with traveling, I'm able. I, mean, I don't think I'll ever be done with what I call Prince Edward County, the area where I live, as being my photographic project. Yeah. So. 
Um, well, before we close out, where else can people see your work? So you talked about Instagram. Can you give us your Instagram handle as well as your website? And then if you have any shows coming up, we'd love to give you a little bit of a plug here so that people for, can... Um, for next time we're up in Prince Edward. <laughs> exactly. Next time we're in in, uh, in Southern Canada, in, in Ontario. Yeah. Well, um, uh, online, of course, uh, Instagram is Jason Pettit, all one word, dot photography. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, uh, J-A-S-O-N-P-E-T-T-I-T. Mm-hmm. Yep, dot photography. And uh, my website, where this is the best place to see uh, higher quality and yeah. imagery, of course, is uh, jasonpettit.ca. Yeah. And we'll have links to these so people can get in the show notes and just get right yeah, to right. it. Thanks very much. In terms of shows where i live there is quite a few galleries it's fairly famous for its art scene um it's the season is just starting up now you're going to get a lot of calls for artists from these galleries so right now i've got a few things that might be happening but nothing is is solid yet well as you know let us know and we'll put it on uh on the website we can even update that so that they're able to kind of see when you might have a have a show coming up that would be wonderful And with that, well, Jason, thank you for being spontaneous and joining us for our our, uh, Friday morning here. I Um, enjoyed it, uh, you know, diverging my podcast. uh, Yeah, uh, hopefully this is the first of many, (laughs) you know, hopefully you'll do a lot of podcasts and we can do it. I first uh, learned about you from a podcast, Ruben. So there, there you go. This is, yeah. this is, the system works. What can I say? And, you know, Matt Payne's interview with you on F-Stop. Oh, so. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, thank, thank you, Suzanne. You want to wrap it up? Uh, absolutely. Our show is recorded and produced in San Francisco and Santa Fe. Go to newmodern.com slash podcast to get show notes, see photos, and post comments. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever service you're listening to us on now. And leave reviews and ratings, especially if you like us. Uh, we get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word. So if you know someone who might get something from us... Jason, send him a link. Thanks to Mitchell Foreman for our theme music. Jason, for joining us this morning and all of you for hanging out. We appreciate your attention and hope we've given you some things to think about. Until next time.